This program is intended for informational and educational purposes only. All views and opinions expressed are the views and opinions of the individuals and sponsors presenting them, and not the LTB network. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy, Episode 20. At the time of this recording, a millibit is trading at 65 cents. That's $650 per Bitcoin. Mmm, mmm, mmm. Now that's gravy. Welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy, and thanks for joining us today as we podcast from East Nashville, Tennessee. I'm John Barrett. And I'm Lyd Shaw. We're two Bitcoin enthusiasts who love to talk about Bitcoin And share what we learn with you, the listener. Thank you so much for your time, and thanks for listening to Bitcoins and Gravy. On today's show, Lidge and I travel to Waterloo, Canada for a conversation with Adam Cochran, the marketing director for the Canadian Bitcoin exchange Vault of Satoshi. Adam talks to us about high security, building trust in the Bitcoin community, and U.S. versus Canadian Bitcoin exchange regulations. We also get the lowdown on what might be an insider's tip about EMC squared. Einsteinium coin. Shh, I'm busy investing heavily. We also take you to Denver, Colorado to talk with Ryan Walker, a writer for Coindesk. Ryan takes us on a tour through the evolution of money, from the creationism of fiat currency to the Darwinian evolution of Bitcoin. We learn about how natural selection may just result in a survival of the fittest cryptocurrency, Bitcoin. Today, Lidge and I are speaking with Adam Cochran, the Director of Marketing at Vault of Satoshi out of Waterloo, Canada. Welcome to the show, Adam. Thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. Great to be here. Give us a little background about yourself. I originally went to school for uh, philosophy psychology and started in the world of marketing a few years after that. Started my own little marketing consultancy, which I grew, and working at some major marketing firms taking on big clients after I sold the assets of my company off and taught for a while as a staff advisor in Laurier's entrepreneurship program. Now I got started in the world of cryptocurrencies. I bought into Bitcoin when it was really small, kind of left it aside, totally forgot about it. And then when uh, Dogecoin came big on the scene, I really got into that and was a moderator of the Dogecoin subreddit for a while. Knew some people working at a, an exchange in southern Ontario, uh, started building relationships with them. And eventually they made the offer for me to come on board and help grow this exchange and all the services surrounding it. And uh been in crypto ever since. Well, wow. So philosophy? Yeah, philosophy, psychology was what I was studying. That's great. And somehow that does seem very appropriate for cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, it's very theoretical, very interesting. And a lot of the value is derived from uh, human perception and interactions and how we build these interesting socioeconomic experiments. Very true. Very true. Well, can you tell us more about Vault of Satoshi and what kind of services you guys offer there? What is Vault of Satoshi? So Vault of Satoshi is Canada's largest international Bitcoin and altcoin exchange. We started about seven months ago, and already we've signed up and verified 40,000 users. And we transact roughly 250 Bitcoin a day on only our Canadian books. We do have support for U.S. dollar books as well as about 10 other cryptocurrencies at this time, and rolling out additional fiat currencies to allow people to trade with. We do support international clients, except for most parts of the United States right now due to the tricky regulatory situations, although we're available in South Carolina, Nevada, and for coin-to-coin in Texas. We also have a bunch of side services, including our new cloud mining beta program, Mm -hmm. where we're providing cloud mining contracts to users at cost. We had a number of users reach out to us and ask how they could get in on cloud mining and if we knew trustworthy services. And we really couldn't refer them to anything. We decided to strike up some partnerships with major vendors, get some at cost servers in there, at cost mining equipment, and uh, provide that to our customers just to strengthen those relationships because we want to be a... uh, trustworthy foothold into the world of cryptocurrencies. And so we're continuing to expand beyond just traditional exchange. And we're also baiting uh, a merchant platform that we hope to roll out fully soon. Wow, that's great. You guys have your plates full, I guess, over there. Let's talk for a minute about regulations. Can you tell our listeners what's the difference between the regulations in Canada versus the regulations for exchanges in the U.S.? So I guess one of the biggest challenges that we face with the U.S. regulatory situation 
It's just that there's a huge difference in the federal level and then the state level, and every different state has their own uh, stance on things. So FinCEN, for example, classifies Bitcoin as a currency, a subclass of a type of currency called virtual currency or convertible virtual currency. And anyone exchanging virtual currencies or convertible virtual currencies is, in their eyes, a money transmitter and needs to follow all the know your customer and anti-money laundering laws and report to them suspicious transactions. However, at the state level, each state has a different definition of what a money services business is and what a money transmitter is and actually what a currency is. So right now we're able to operate in Texas, for example, because Texas views of currency says it has to be a currency that I believe it says the printed or digital currency of a state or legislative body or a government body or something like that. So these decentralized currencies don't count. But in other places, the description of a currency is something that contains monetary value or is convertible for monetary value. And so Bitcoin does count. We need to get an MSB license. Um, Here in Canada, we can do one MSB license that covers the entire country. Whereas in the United States, you need to do a different MSB license for each state. And the States is also one of the few countries in the world where, from my understanding of it at least, the legal situation is rather than following the laws of where your business is based out of, when you're dealing with U.S. customers, you have to follow their local laws. So if we want to take someone from Montana, for example, we need to make sure we're following the money transmission rules for the state of Montana. Hmm. Well, Adam, so for some of our listeners out there who might be brand new to this Bitcoin and altcoins and exchanges, could you explain a little bit about what an exchange is and what the functionality is? Sure. So uh, we make it easy to facilitate transactions from Bitcoin and altcoins. So you sign up with us and you're going to deposit your Canadian dollars, your U.S. dollars, and hopefully soon a few other currencies. And then you can go onto our order book and find listings of people who are selling you Bitcoin, Litecoin, Dogecoin, and a whole bunch of others. And you look at the prices and uh, you can purchase Bitcoin for your U.S. dollars. And what we do is because the Bitcoins have been transferred into our exchange and held in our wallets, and the fiat has been transferred into our bank account, we hold that fiat. We know that we're making a safe exchange for the users and uh, that the Bitcoin exists, that the fiat exists, and that they actually are changing hands. So rather than buying off Joe Schmo on the internet and hoping that he sends your Bitcoins after you sent him a payment, we're making sure that it's all by the book, that it's trustworthy and reliable, and that you're getting the best market price because you can see all the different orders on our books. Today, for example, we had orders at 627 Canadian and some at 630 Canadian and bouncing around in there. So you can get little bits and pieces of Bitcoin at the best possible price on the exchange. You know, I met that guy, Joe Schmo, once and he wasn't all that cool. (laughs) Right? Just a sketch bag. But then there's Joe Cool, right? Right. Much better. Okay. So Adam, and then again, for some of our new listeners to this, can you also explain what you mean by cloud mining? Yeah, for sure. So mining right now, on a computer, obviously, isn't very profitable uh, since we've seen the introduction of what are called ASIC mining machines. These are basically high-end computers that are designed very specifically for mining. They have a huge hash rate and draw a very little amount of power. There's huge obstacles into setting these up. They generate a lot of heat. They draw quite a bit of power. They have needs some necessary configuration. And there's also been a lot of less than savory players in the mining space of selling faulty hardware. So we've established solid relationships with a number of stand-up providers who have given us discount rates. We order in the mining equipment. We set it up in our facility where we've taken care of all the power, all the uh, internet connection, the cooling, and the exhaust, which is actually a huge nightmare when you're dealing with miners. And then we sell the contract on to you. So we'll host it at our facility for a year for one set price. You don't need to worry about the power bills or maintenance. If your machine breaks, we replace parts free of charge or move you onto a working server. We just deposit every week on Friday some Bitcoin into your account based on what hash rate you bought from us. So we make it really simple for the less technical individual to get into mining or the individual who doesn't want to put huge costs into setting up a mining operation because the biggest cost in mining operations end up being the maintenance in the facility, getting the electricity in, getting the proper ventilation in there so you're not burning out your units far too quickly. And it's a cost that most people don't really think of when they're just looking at the cost of a miner online. It seems to me cloud mining is controversial. Some people say, that's ah, just not worth it. You're not getting enough return. So can you address that for our listeners who might be thinking about cloud mining? Absolutely. So one of the unique positions about us is we actually offer you at nearly a cost. We actually only have a $40 setup fee on every account. And after that, you are paying exactly what we pay. Uh, Ontario has some really cheap power and really cheap rental space. And so we pass those savings along to our users. And we're also negotiating with 
the mining suppliers to get these renewal programs and discount bulk fees that we pass on to you as well. So while a lot of mining contracts don't work out as profitable from the get-go, we've set ours up in a way that we know our users are at least going to break even, and if not, make a profit. Now, the big thing that depends on how you make a profit is actually where the price of Bitcoin is at. Right. So our, our mining contracts, their price doesn't fluctuate at all. We have them set, and we say that's what you're going to pay no matter where Bitcoin goes. Uh, so if you think Bitcoin's going to go up or you think Bitcoin's going to stay where it's at, uh, which is the reason you'd probably be buying into Bitcoin anyway, you might be more profitable in getting one of these mining contracts. Because right now, people will punch into a mining calculator uh, with the rising difficulty and say, okay, I might break even at the end of the year. But what they're forgetting is that that's if they assume the price is staying the same. As we continue to see more merchant adoption, a diminishing returns in the amount of Bitcoin in circulation from mining and greater use of Bitcoin in the general economy, we can expect that the price will continue to rise. And that compounding interest actually also impacts your mining. So let's say at the end of the year, you expected to get one Bitcoin return from whatever mining rig you had set up. And obviously, it's quite a mining rig if you're getting that. At the end of that year, well, that Bitcoin is likely worth more than it is today. I'm not sure what the U.S. price is today off the top of my head, but I know the Canadian one's floating around 630 or something in there. So I imagine the American one's probably just broken 600. So let's say you do the calculations based on that. If you expected your Bitcoin to be worth $600 so you break even on your return and you end up having it worth $800, well, that's where the profit comes from. So miners need to remember to take into uh, consideration on the mining contracts where the price of Bitcoin is going. Yeah, well, this is very interesting. For a newcomer to Bitcoin, it sounds like they can go to Vault of Satoshi and they have two options. They can take their US dollars or, or whatever currency they're starting from, and they could either purchase Bitcoin directly through an exchange or they could purchase into a cloud mining operation. And either one might be an excellent investment into Bitcoin. Is What's the correlation between the two? I guess you were explaining that, but... Well, and also, can you give us a uh, price schedule for the cloud mining? Give our listeners an idea of what they would have to put out? Right now, uh, the cloud mining program is in beta, so you can't actually get to it directly on our website. You have to uh, email me at adam at and we set up all your accounts manually. So right now, we're looking at about uh, $900 for a 150-gigahash contract for the year. Okay. And so we'll be mining at a rate of 150 gigahash a second on your behalf. I have not purchased mining equipment, but my understanding is that if I wanted to have even two or three gigahash mining per second, I might have to invest $9,000 to purchase the rig myself. Is that correct? Uh, so one of the considerations to take there is there's a big difference between mining on Bitcoin and mining on script coins. Script coins are measured in kilohash and megahash whereas Bitcoin is measured in mostly gigahash and sometimes up to terahash. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking 150 gigahashes in a Bitcoin mining scenario, uh, that's very different than if you were talking even one gigahash in script mining. So yeah, you might be $9,000 to get a script miner that does that because when you're no longer dealing with computers and you start looking at ASIC machines, they have to be very specifically built to do either the Bitcoin algorithm, which is SHA-256, or the script algorithm for Dogecoin, Litecoin, etc. So you can't cross over those machines. Okay. So the 150 gigahash is for Bitcoin. We are rolling out script our cloud mining sometime in the future. The script ASICs aren't that common yet, at least at high hash rates. Mm -hmm. So we're actually working with some partners who are going to be shipping them out test units to us ahead of the curve. And so we're going to offer some of those up to our customers. Okay. So for 900 bucks a year, what can someone expect to make, let's say in the next six months, how many Bitcoins or what percentage of a Bitcoin? Yeah, I'm not sure I can tell you off the top of my head, but I mean, I sat down probably for uh, two weeks before we launched this and ran over math for two weeks straight doing calculations. We set it up so that our users should always slightly come in above breaking even. Mm -hmm. So I calculated everything on our worst case scenario that if you gave us $900, by the end of the year, maybe you have somewhere in the bracket of 1000 to $1,100 or something like that. In our worst case scenario, if Bitcoin doesn't continue to go up and the difficulty rises at a very strong pace. I can't remember off the top of my head exactly how many Bitcoin you generate, but we try and pass on all these savings to our users so that we make sure that you're going to have a positive experience with uh, Vaults of Satoshi. Right, so if Bitcoin does well, then you do much better than that. So you've created a worst case scenario wherein you're still going to come out hopefully on top. Absolutely, yeah. Or worst case scenario is you break even. Yeah, worst case scenario is you break even, unless, of course, the market crashes altogether. But 
you know, fingers crossed, knock on wood and all that jazz. Yeah, I don't think that'll happen. So your exchange, do you actually hold, if I buy, let's say, 10 Bitcoins, are you then holding my Bitcoins or do I actually have a wallet on the exchange where my Bitcoins are sitting and I can get them out of my wallet anytime I want to? I can control that wallet. I can send and receive to that wallet. Or do you all have the Bitcoin there that you hold? How's that work? So uh, the way it works is you'll get a unique wallet address that you can send to. And we know that Bitcoin coming in through that wallet belong to you. They get accredited to your account. Uh, we then centralize these into a hot wallet and a cold wallet. So our hot wallet holds about 2 to 3% of the active funds at any time. because We find that's roughly what people are looking to pull out of the exchange. And then our cold wallet, which is actually publicly published so that people can see the Bitcoin that we hold, has the rest of the funds in it. And that's secured at off-site locations and needs multiple people before it can ever be accessed. Tell us about those off-site locations. Can you give us the address? <laughs> Is that at Satoshi's home where he keeps his vault? Absolutely. And yeah, deep underground vaults. We want to know, tell us about the underground vault and armed guards <laughs> and all of that. That's yeah, exciting stuff. Of, it is kind of fun. We are kind of known as one of the most secure exchanges around. You know, it's been a short seven months and we've established quite a strong, even international following and strong brand as uh, taking on a number of the big players in security and transparency. We were the uh, first exchange in the world to implement proof of solvency based on the Bitcoin standard. And we published our full cold wallet so you can audit our funds as well. And all of the cold wallet stuff would need multiple team executives to drive to multiple bank locations in multiple cities to access bits and pieces of the public and private keys to bring them all together and then need two of them to sign off and authorize the final transaction before anything could be touched with those Bitcoins. So we really take it very seriously, the faith that customers have put in us to deposit their money here. Uh, we're a Canadian registered money service business. We have a full location that is insured. There are bars on our windows, security time locks. We operate as if we are any other financial institution that you put your money into. We want to keep it safe and secure. Okay, so this is sounding like good stuff for the next Dan Brown novel. Oh, nice, man. I was going to say, it sounds like you guys have really learned from the mistakes of the other existing exchanges as well. Absolutely. But I think one of the other really unique things about us is we have a very diverse background in our team. Uh, a number of us have come from the business world. Some of us have come from the financial world and financial systems and security. Uh, we've got legal advisors. You know, we take this seriously. We've seen a lot of Bitcoin companies pop up. They're, they're awesome guys, but at the end of the day, it's just a one or two man operation, usually with a tech background. Let's talk about those one or two guy operations and let's get your opinion. Now, you don't have to give me your opinion, but we would love to know, what do you think of Cripsy? What do you think of BTCE? Can those be trusted? Uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's not really for me to comment on other exchanges or tell you what you should or shouldn't trust. At the end of the day, I feel that users, at the very least, should be critical of every exchange. And I encourage them to be critical of us as well and do their research. Decide what makes you comfortable, but research all the exchanges. See what options are out there in security and transparency. Decide where your trust level lies. Decide what you feel is sufficient enough to protect your funds and your livelihood, and then go with that. Okay, so maybe you can help our listeners. How do they test to find out if Cripsy and BTCE should be trusted? You know, they don't know they have their Bitcoins there or their altcoins there. What are some questions they can ask? What are some ways that they can find out about these exchanges and decide to keep their altcoins there or to move their altcoins over to you all? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Same question. You know, Do you guys offer on your site some way to help people understand how they can see the transparency of it and the security of it? Yeah, for sure. So we've been moving really fast and I need to get more information on our website because, you know, it seems every day we're building a new product rather than writing about it. But shortly, I do plan to be launching a blog that will give us sort of full overview of all our products as well as security parameters and even just basic introductions to the world of Bitcoin. We're going to be co-branding with another group of small Bitcoin businesses here in Canada, a tutorial site that will cover the basics of Bitcoin, Bitcoin security, and all the stuff you need to know. But whenever you're dealing with a service, especially in exchange where you're trusting them to hold your funds for you, you, you want to be asking things like, well, why don't you guys implement proof of solvency? Or even on the legal side of things, are you registered with FinCEN? Are you a money services business? As part of the money service business, both in Canada and the United States, we're required that when users sign up, we get government-issued ID from them, a proof of residency. And if they want to do high-volume trades, we sometimes even need to get pre-authorized debt agreements and letters from their local bank manager saying that their accounts are in good standing. We're facilitating financial exchange cash transactions that far too often can be used for money laundering. So when businesses don't ask that, that's a sign that they might not be doing things by the book or might be floating through this gray area that we're seeing in Bitcoin regulation where sometimes 
it, it's unclear whether Bitcoin needs to hold itself to this rigorous standard when being exchanged between Bitcoin and fiat. Rather than operate in a gray area, we're never going to take risks at having client finances seized by a government investigation. We're going to do everything we can by the book. We're going to take every precaution we can as if we were held to these same strict standards to make sure that you're secure. So every customer is going to be different. And I'm sure there's a lot of well-intentioned exchanges out there that may operate in a gray area or may not have proof of solvency and that your funds are fine. These are questions that I would personally ask if I was putting my money anywhere. And so we feel that we should treat our customers just the same way. I wanted to cut back to something else you mentioned. You talked about trading up to 10 coins now or in the near future. What is Vault of Satoshi doing about altcoins and things beyond Bitcoin? We're a little unique in our situation at how we actually dive into auditing our altcoins and what we add to our exchange. Um, We have an internal process that I've developed where we focus not only on the economic values, but also some of the social and technical values of a coin. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll look at a coin and not just be like, oh, that coin is traded a lot. We'll add it to our exchange. We want coins that are going to be around for the long haul and coins that our users can feel at least relatively safe in buying. You know, we don't we don't back all the coins on our exchange. We don't say that these are safe entirely and going to be around forever. There's obviously always going to be some risk when dealing with any currency, even a fiat currency. Uh, but we try and mitigate some of that risk and look for coins that have unique value propositions, strong communities and stuff like that. So we have a watch list that we put most major altcoins on. I've developed a process for scoring and auditing these altcoins. And when they pass a certain score on the basis of my scoring model, we have an internal discussion about them, give them one more manual review, and then we would implement them into the exchange. You know, we're one of the few exchanges that when we add a coin, we don't force you to trade through Bitcoin. If we add a coin, you can trade it directly to any other cryptocurrency as well as fiat right away. And so there's some small coins that we're the first exchange in the world to offer that to. And one of them is called uh, Einsteinium, or EMC2. And it's a coin that takes 2% of everything that's mined in the blockchain and puts it towards science research and education funding and stuff like that. It's a registered nonprofit here in Canada. And so we, we were happy to partner with them and throw them on the exchange. That's great. Does Gridcoin do that same thing? Do you all offer Gridcoin? Uh, we don't offer Gridcoin yet, but I do know that one is on my watch list. Cool. Right on. Well, uh, we may have to wrap up here, Adam, but I have one more question for you before we go. Can you tell us who you're reaching out to in our listener base? Who's your ideal customer? Who's the person who really should be coming to Vault of Satoshi to check it out? Uh, You know, we are rapidly expanding back into the U.S., where I imagine a lot of your uh, listeners are. And so we look forward to aiding that user base. But I think at the end of the day, any customer who trades with Vault of Satoshi is one that appreciates the level of trust, transparency, and customer service that's unparalleled. We are a professional business. You can call our uh, support team who is in the office seven days a week now. We've just hired new weekend staff. So nine to five, seven days a week, we have support staff you can get on the phone. You can go to our website. You can see who we are. We're on Reddit. You can reach out to us. You can drop by our office if you're in Canada and if you bring some coffee with you. Um, We're a legitimate business and Yes, there are some more obstacles to working with us. We have a lengthy verification process, although that's down to about a 24-hour process now. Most users who sign up are verified within 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we do have a 1% trading fee, which some traders see as high. But we also lead in trust, transparency, innovation, and customer support. So when you want to deal with professionals, when you want to deal with a real business, when you want to deal with someone that you know is going to do what's right by their customer and always put their customer first, and you come to Vault of Satoshi, and we try and build those real relationships in the world of crypto. You know, we get to know your name. We have customers drop by and take us for a round of golf. We we really try and be something a little different in the crypto space. That's cool, man. Well, it's good to know you guys are there watching over our Bitcoins, and you're not just out ice fishing all day. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, you know what? Uh, I think that just listening to you speak, I really feel like I'm going away with a lot of trust in your company. And I think that's really important. I think trust, of course, is built over time. I'm sure you're doing that. I have to talk to our listeners here for just a minute and say, hey, if it comes down to Cripsy or BTCE or Vault of Satoshi, if you have a choice, I would say go with Vault of Satoshi because I gave the same warning out even before we ever started our show to friends and colleagues about Mt. Gox saying if you have more than you're comfortable losing there, you better get it off, right? So the same thing with Cripsy and BTCE. I'm not here to say anything bad about them. <laughs> I'm just here to say that, you know, the same thing is true in terms of a lack of transparency with BTCE and Cripsy as was true with Mt. Gox, even more so because we don't really know exactly. I don't think we know as much about BTCE and Cripsy as we do about Mt. Gox. So I just put that warning out there to people. If you really don't want to lose more than 
than you can afford to lose, you might consider Vault of Satoshi or any company that is proving itself as um, trustworthy. We definitely uh, appreciate that endorsement, and we always try and do what's right by our customers. So, you know, we are a young exchange, but we feel we're shaking up the place. We we get mentioned in the discussions with all the big players who are still 10 times our size because we are something different. And uh, we're excited to continue to build those relationships. We encourage customers to reach out to us. We actively take their feedback and put it into our exchange. And you know, if customers are looking to talk about new features or get a better understanding of security, they can call up our office and talk to our support team or even ask to be put right through to me. If I'm here, I'll answer calls. There's no screening. We're not going to turn you away. We want to engage and have these relationships. Okay, that's wonderful. Can you reach out to our listeners right now and tell them how they can find you guys and how they can reach you? Sure. So you can check us out at vaultofsatoshi.com. Uh, you can email me at adam at baltasatoshi.com. You can reach our support team at hello at baltasatoshi.com. Or you can give us a call at 1-519-757-0101. And that uh, phone number actually works because I called it a couple of times and someone actually answered the phone really quickly. I was very impressed. Well done, well done. And you had the phone number right in front of you. I think, you know, we have to sort of remember ours every time we call out for the hotline here at Bitcoins and Gravy. Yeah, what is that number anyway? Hey, thank, <laughs> hey, Adam, thank you so much for spending time with us. This was great. Thanks for having me, guys. And uh, keep up the great work with your show. Definitely exciting stuff. And can't wait to hear more from you. Yeah, thank you, Adam. I hope you guys get some green leaves on some trees up there pretty soon. It's starting to warm up a little bit. Nice, nice. Thanks, man. Cheers. I'm John Barrett. And I'm Lid Shaw. We're two guys from East Nashville, Tennessee, who love talking about Bitcoin. Join us for Bitcoins and Gravy right here as we talk with business owners around the country and around the world who are using Bitcoins right now to grow their businesses. We interview Bitcoin experts about cutting-edge developments, the future of Bitcoin the currency, and Bitcoin the shared network. We also talk with everyday folks who use Bitcoins instead of money for everyday purchases. And if you're still not sure about Bitcoins, we can help. Bitcoins and gravy will get you up to speed with this new fast-paced technology bitcoin we invite you the listener to call us on the bitcoins and gravy hotline at 615-208-5198 with your questions or comments about bitcoin and remember to tune in right here for bitcoins and gravy mm, mm, mm. now that's gravy Lidge, a call came in yesterday on the Bitcoins and Gravy hotline. Chloe from Ann Arbor, Michigan says, Hey guys, I love your show. Have you guys ever thought about doing a video podcast? And Chloe, the answer is no, we haven't because we're both hideously ugly. But thanks for your question, Chloe, and thanks for calling in on the Bitcoins and Gravy hotline. And here's a weekly reminder to keep those video submissions coming in for the Ode to Satoshi Music Video Contest, where you have a chance to win 0.25 bitcoins. That's right. That's 250 millibitcoins. The contest ends soon. Well, we're not sure if it ends soon or not. We haven't set a deadline. But sometime over the next couple of weeks, we will. So keep those video submissions coming in for a chance to win. And if you have any questions, just call us on the Bitcoins and Gravy hotline or email us at howdy at bitcoinsandgravy.com. John, we also want to follow up last week's show with a disclaimer. I read an excerpt from the National Report that claimed to quote a study commissioned by Halliburton debunking solar energy. As one of our attentive listeners pointed out, the National Report is a satirical news site like The Onion. So it turns out that Sarah Palin doesn't actually think the sun will die out in the next few generations. Phew, that's a relief. Okay, John, I want to also share with you a couple of very important emails that came in from listeners. So as some of you know, we have put up two different songs on our Bitcoins and Gravy website. The first was Ode to Satoshi, which I've recorded here with John. And the second is Spring is an Amazing Thing, which I also recorded here and co-wrote with my daughter. Anyway, we put these songs up and we asked our listeners to check them out. And if they wanted to purchase them for Bitcoin, they could do so using a special link on our website that through an embed link using the Satoshi Box platform would allow listeners to purchase the song with Bitcoin and then receive a download link. Well, apparently we've had at least a couple of listeners who had trouble going through the Satoshi Box website and getting the download link to work properly. I emailed Satoshi Box through their tech support email 
a couple of times and received no answer. So we had to take the links down from the website and uh, we thank both our listeners who wrote in to let us know about this and of course immediately sent them a link to the song for their download. But consider this a shout out to Satoshi Box. If you're out there and you're listening, our listeners and John and I here at Bitcoins and Gravy would really like to be able to hear from you and get this shored up so it works. It looks like Satoshi Box is a fantastic idea, very simple concept, but if it's not working, it's not working. In fact, one of our listeners said in his email, I think you should not sell content for Bitcoin unless you can implement the technology right. You are harming Bitcoin more than you are helping it when the purchase experience works worse than credit cards. All right, point well taken, and we've taken it down from our site. Thank you very much for writing in. When something doesn't work right, we want to know right away so we can take care of it. We're here for our listening audience, and we only want to be able to suggest things that are really helping out in the cause of Bitcoin. So thanks very much for writing in, and we'll see what we can do to improve the experience. Cheers. On today's show, we are pleased to welcome Ryan Walker from Denver, Colorado, an author on Coindesk who authored a fantastic paper called On the Origins of Money, Darwin, and the Evolution of Cryptocurrency. Welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy, Ryan. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to speak with you today. Ryan, welcome. This sounds intriguing. Tell us about this article, man. Yeah, it was pretty fascinating. Uh, tell us about the evolution of this theory. <laughs> well, it's interesting. Uh, you know, First and foremost, I don't have any kind of formal background in biology or evolution. In my college days, I studied economics. But it was around the time where I started to understand and really get Bitcoin and the blockchain and, and all of this technology I was actually reading some books by Bill Bryson, A Short History of Nearly Everything, a good scientific book, and then also some Richard Dawkins. Neither of them is really focused on evolution, but they discuss it off and on throughout those books. So, you know, that was already planted in my brain. And when I really started to learn about Bitcoin and the blockchain and this technology, I dug into it and I kind of had a couple aha moments. That's one of my favorite things right now about Bitcoin is that people talk about things throughout history, you know, where were you when? Sometimes they're bad things, you know, where were you when Kennedy was shot or Pearl Harbor? Uh, sometimes they're fun things, you know, where were you when, I don't know, men landed on the moon or, you know, the Beatles first played the U.S. But I'm finding a lot in this community that people are talking about where were you when you got Bitcoin, right? Or what was it that did it for you? Yeah. By the way, I can tell you I was not at Shea Stadium when the Beatles played the U.S. <laughs> I also, you know, I wasn't born yet either, so I definitely wasn't there. But I can give you a little bit of trivia. I have recorded the band Barry and the Remains here at the Toy Box Studio, and they opened for the Beatles at Shea Stadium. And I have a book of theirs right here on the shelf. Oh, wow. Oh, interesting. So back to Bitcoin and the evolution. Yeah, of course. We could totally diverge onto this music thing for a while. So one of the things that really kind of tipped me off and got me buzzing about this whole thing was actually a lecture by Eric Voorhees. He's one of kind of the first evangelists, if you will. Uh, I think he's CEO of Coinapult. Mm -hmm. We like Eric. He gave a lecture in 2013 that's on YouTube. And I keep, I'm like the only one who gets excited about this thing, I feel like, because I try and share it around. But he talks about, you know, the traits of money. And he really questions that. And asks the question and shares, you know, what are these characteristics? What are these traits of money? Um, and recently, Wenceslas the uh, CEO of Zappo, actually gave a similar lecture that's getting a lot of traction. And when it was put in those terms for me, it made a lot of sense. And I started to try and think about, you know, not Bitcoin, all this meta stuff, but just Bitcoin as a currency. Is it an improvement? And then as I started writing the article, you know, I, I started exploring myself more and more, you know, what makes money what it is and started to, re, you know, make some realizations myself about not only the traditional traits of money, but what I believe are kind of the new traits of money as well. Uh, there were some great quotes on your article here. You know, you're talking about Darwin and his study of the theory of evolution or his creation of it. And the quote is, Darwin received royalties that were most likely paid in British sterling. Did he know that the very currency by which he was being compensated would one day be subject to his very theory of natural selection? And I think that it's an interesting point to think about that. The money we spend, why do we have faith in it? Why do we trust it? Money is so important to us. It's it's part of you know every transaction we make. We spend much of our time working or trying to earn it in some way. But we, we kind of have this just like just given trust. And a lot of what I actually do in my own work is I work 
with companies and organizations trying to improve things. And one of the biggest things I do as a consultant, as like a third party, is come in and really just ask the simple question of why. You know, why do you do things the way you do? And, you know, when you ask that question, what do you think is like a common response from people? Because that's how it's always been done. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's the way we do it because that's what was done before. And that's how I was trained when I came in here. Or because that's the right way. Yeah. Or those are the rules. You got to follow the rules. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And it's all kind kind of this same idea of, you know, we do it because that's the way it's always been done. And kind of epiphany for me, actually, going back to that Eric Voorhees video that I watched his lecture was that here I am, this is something I actually do for a living. And it's one of my favorite parts of my job is helping people challenge those concepts. And here it is put in terms of money, right? Like something so important, so critical, such a fiber of society. And i really kind of felt silly never having really stepped back and asked this question of myself. And when you put it in that context, I think it really resonates with people. So can you explain to our listeners the correlation between the Darwinian theory of evolution and your proposed theory of evolution of money? Absolutely. So Darwin came up with the concept, the theory of natural selection. And natural selection actually is a, um, a process where over time, specific traits they basically become better. There's variation in a population of animals and certain traits basically rise to the top. And it really embodies this idea of survival of the fittest. The strongest, the fastest predators survive, you know, the weaker animals die off. And over time, this really is the foundation for evolution. Now, does that apply to the Guinness in my black and tan too, rising to the top of the bass yeah. tail on the bottom? Of it? <laughs> oh man, he's really stretching here. Well, that a couple of those will lead us down a whole other. We'll probably start talking about music if we get into that again. What Darwin did, though, was when he presented his theory, he really showed rather than natural selection. So natural selection is blind, right? It means that you put something out into the environment, or something. You know, animals are having these variations and their traits are competing in the environment. And it's really this give and take between the environment that depends what traits move forward into these species. And really with his theory, he had to step back. He couldn't prove natural selection. He had to prove something, another type of evolution called artificial selection. And with artificial selection, it's really like the breeding of dogs, for example. So we can take two dogs, types of dogs, and breed them together to try and get some specific trait out of that dog. And it's a really funny thing. What Darwin did is just a kind of a funny cultural thing. He used something famously known in the Darwinian world as the fancy pigeon experiment. Okay. Have you ever heard of the fancy pigeon experiment? No, no, but I like it already. <laughs> How can you not, right? So the fancy pigeon experiment was at the time in England, there was this thing with like fancy pigeons as pets and they would kind of breed them to get these unique characteristics out of them right and they're like very regal you know you can imagine at the time even like some of them had these like puffy chests and some of them had these like frilly heads and they were all different colors and it was kind of like a thing and so darwin realized that the way they were breeding these pigeons they were all actually from the same pigeon species they were all originated with the rock pigeon Okay. And what Darwin realized he had to do was breed these rock pigeons in a way to show variation. Because you got to remember at the time, the popular belief was that species were perfect. They were designed this way. And if species were perfect and they were designed that way, there'd be really no variation between them. Every one of them would be the same. You know, they didn't have DNA at the time, but the genetic coding would have been the same. It would have been like a cookie cutter. So Darwin had, had to show that over time, um, you could breed these pigeons to look differently. And that would be kind of like a, a sped up version of natural selection of evolution over time. And he did so in a way that a taxonomist, somebody that really defines what a species is, you know, if he was approached and shown these six different types of pigeons, he would declare each of them a different species. But in reality, Darwin knew that they were all sourced back to the origin of this one type of rock pigeon. Okay. And so how does that transfer over to currency and cryptocurrency? Well, it's an interesting parallel because obviously cryptocurrency isn't a living thing. Right. It's not like a dollar bill gives birth to another tiny little dollar bill. And it's this strange new thing, you know, or a bunch of pennies. Right. And you created this wonderful chart in your article that has the traits of money. And then you're comparing gold and fiat and crypto. It seems like you broke it down into all these different specific traits, like the traits that a, a species would have for survival. When you think about the traits of an animal, you know, their size and strength and, and there are all these parallels. In the article, I use the metaphor of dinosaurs and they have all these specific traits. And over time, certain traits rise to the top and allow that species to survive more. When I started doing my research, I found that there 
there are six different traits most often mentioned, but they're in varied degrees. And once I kind of pooled all my research together, I realized that there's really eight traditional traits of money that people really discuss. All right, let's hear them. Yeah, let's hear them. These are fungibility. So the interchangeableness of money, if I give you $1 for $1, that's very fungible. But if I gave you a diamond and you're going to exchange a diamond, we'd probably have to kind of eyeball it, right? Right. So fungible just means the units that we're transacting with are the same. Each unit is the same. If you gave me a dollar today and I traded it for a dollar with somebody else and came back to you with their dollar, you would still accept it back. It's any dollar is exchangeable for any other dollar. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And then another common one is non-consumable. So we don't use oil or food for currency necessarily. We um, buy them with currency, but those are consumable and, and that can change. And Ryan, should we also uh, show how you rated each of these gold, fiat and crypto pertaining to each of these traits as we go? Absolutely. Absolutely. We can. And, and you know, th this is on Coindesk, too. So if there's a listener on here that would want to follow along, the chart can be found on, on the Coindesk news series. Okay. Yeah, and we'll have a link to that in our show notes. But again, the title of the article there on Coindesk, On the Origins of Money, Darwin, and the Evolution of Cryptocurrency. All right, let's keep working through the list of eight. I'll work off of table three in there because it really lists all three and it'd be good to just cover them all at once. So fungibility, with fungibility, gold is very high, um, highly fungible. Um, fiat dollars, you know, U.S. dollars in this case, very fungible. I know a dollar is a dollar. Same in crypto. A Bitcoin is a Bitcoin. Or this is a pretty core element of what we need in a currency or money. Yeah, and no, I, I think I'll just clarify too. In the world of gold, you would need um, some sort of trusted authority that could that you could trust that this was the you know a certain amount of gold. It was how many carats of gold within the coin, and that it was tradable within fiat currency. You need a trusted understanding that this printed dollar bill is actually a dollar bill, and it's not counterfeited. And in the crypto world, you need the trusted the trust of the blockchain, the decentralized blockchain, to verify that you in fact do have these bitcoins in your possession. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Good points. And and we touch on that with another one of the common traits, which is security. I'll get to that in a bit. But then there's also portability. So it's pretty straightforward here. You know, gold, it's pretty heavy, you know, to move it around. There's a reason we finally moved on to fiat currencies is because gold, it's difficult to move around. It, it weighs a lot. We're not going to be carrying gold everywhere we go. Sure. I don't even like carrying my wallet in my pocket. And it's a really interesting thing now with cryptocurrency because, you know, we're all, you know, majority of the people, at least that are currently into cryptocurrency are already carrying around a cell phone. It really, almost, it, it, in a sense, becomes weightless and can be sent anywhere instantly around the world. So in that way, it, it's highly evolved, very highly portable. Right. You can cross borders with it. Whereas these days now with the metal and the dollar bills and the $20 bills, you cannot cross borders. Exactly. Exactly. The next one is durability. So gold is a very durable, uh, you know, it's a metal. It's very durable. Fiat money, somewhat less durable. And then crypto is in an electronic form and it's out there on a network. In many ways, it's actually superiorly durable because even if, you know, my computer crashes and I'm running a node, it's still out there on thousands of other computers. Yeah, right. And yet uh, it seems to me it's harder to lose a gold coin than it is to lose Bitcoin. Next. Security. So in this case, I'm not talking secure like it can't be stolen. I'm talking about security in terms of that it can't be counterfeited. So gold, you know, there may be situations where you can pass gold off, fool's gold or anything else off as gold or include some other metal in the gold to give it a greater weight. Mm -hmm. Fiat dollars, you can certainly counterfeit that. The Fed is constantly trying to change the printing to keep up to speed and ahead of the curve of counterfeiters. Mm -hmm. And then crypto currently, you know, with the solution of the blockchain and the distributed network, and the confirmation system, it is fairly secure given, you know, that a 51% attack doesn't happen. But even with that, a 51% attack, as we've already kind of had these discussions before, there's the incentive structure is not really there for that. Sure, sure. And then also, I think you, I don't know if you intentionally skipped one on here. Highly divisible was one of your traits. Ah, yes. Uh -huh. Highly divisible is another one. Gold and fiat are both divisible to some extent. Actually, you could make an argument that Gold is fairly divisible because there was a time where gold was traded in gold dust and things like that. But crypto certainly going to eight decimal points is as divisible as it gets. Even Gavin Andreessen has mentioned that going beyond a Satoshi in the protocol would not be a hard fork. So that's certainly possible to an even greater extent. Yeah. The next one is that's easily transactable. 
And this one's an interesting one. Gold's not as transactable as if you're talking about high volumes. Fiat dollars certainly are, especially with the structure around fiat money nowadays of being electronic. And then uh, crypto, some people would debate that crypto is not easily transactable now, but I think anybody that's actually operating with it would say that it is fairly transactable. And I only think that's going to get more and more transactable over time as all these extremely smart people develop the tools around it. Oh, yeah. It's pretty exciting to see, right? Yeah. And then the final one, and this was really one of the ahas as I was writing this article, is scarcity and predictable supply. The interesting thing is I would rate gold as a moderate in terms of scarcity because it's still being actively mined. Um, But there's also these interesting things and implications, you know, bacteria that can actually take toxic chemicals and actually produce gold. Uh, It's like the alchemist's dream. Yeah, for sure. Fiat dollars, as we know nowadays, are not scarce and they're easily printed. Unless you're working for them. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, uh, for sure. And uh, finally, crypto, we know that there is a scarce and predictable supply. And I think that this characteristic actually, based on the traditional traits of money, is what really probably caught the attention of most fans of cryptocurrency right now. And it's kind of an interesting realization is that fiat dollars, money, paper bills used to be backed by gold. And it was kind of a hybrid in this evolution from straight up gold coins to backed fiat money, so commodity backed dollars, and then fiat money, which has no backing. And it was a big epiphany for me, really, in my research for this article, was realizing that there's literally no gold-backed currencies anywhere. So no gold-backed currencies anywhere, but people still do transact with gold. Exactly, exactly. So gold itself may not be as evolved based on these traits of money as fiat, but in many ways, it's better at being scarce than fiat dollars. And in this way, it may actually survive the test of time. We've seen there was a study I referenced in the article from dollardays.org. They looked at over 700 fiat currencies over time, and a large number of them failed. And actually, the number one reason, I think it was something like 28% of those failures was due to hyperinflation. Yeah, I think your quote out there was that, um, a study of 775 fiat currencies, that the average life expectancy of a fiat currency is 27 years, only 27 years. Yeah, That's it's amazing. pretty shocking when you think about it, that these things, as a species of currency, fiat money has not really shown that it lasts the test of time. No, but you know, that could change moving forward. We have no idea. For instance, most people don't know the word fiat. It means by decree. So as long as a government, let's say the U.S. government, has a certain amount of power and a certain amount of tanks and planes and bombs and all of this, and they retain that power, they then can continue to say this is even the reserve currency of the world by decree, if not the reserve currency of the world, which I think is a dubious proposition, definitely they can continue to say for another decade or two or three or four decades, this is the currency that we will use. This is our number one currency. By decree, they can say that, right? Yeah, okay. And that takes us to our next trade of money, which was sovereign government issued, right? Exactly, exactly. And in looking at these species of gold, fiat, monies, uh, I realized that gold is really just a resource. You know, you mine it, you own it, and now you can transact with it. Whereas fiat came from a central place and there was only really one type of gold money, but there was this explosion of fiat currencies. And I realized that there's something different about this that's a trait of money that's causing this explosion in, in the species of money, of fiat fiat monies. And I really realized that it was sovereignty. And it's a trait that's not really given much weight or consideration. But I realized this is really a trait of money. It's either from a sovereign entity or not. And that's really been one of the things that has led to this explosion of fiat currencies. Yeah, sure. That and the ability to print nice artwork on the bills. Exactly. And the interesting thing, what's so interesting now is that that was a trait that gave fiat money a lot of success over time with this explosion of all these fiat currencies. But it was a trait that was favorable for one period of time. But now the conditions of the environment, I believe, are changing. And with the consciousness that decentralized systems uh, are possible, I believe that that tide may be turning where that is no longer a trait that's favorable for currencies similar to size mm-hmm. and strength and the requirement of the dinosaurs having a requirement for a lot of food and a lot of oxygen. When the comet hit, their food supply was wiped out and they as a result were wiped out. Whereas other creatures that lived in fresh waters that didn't need as much food or oxygen, they survived. 
Well, you know what? It reminds me of Rachel Carson, the famous biologist. They just paid tribute to her, I think, on the Google homepage. She was one of the very first ones, I think the very first one to come out and say, look, DDT is really bad um, because what it actually is, is an estrogenic chemical, which means that according to her, DDT had the potential to disrupt sexual differentiation in exposed animals. She was criticized roundly by a lot of people because DDT helped slow down and stop malaria spreading around the world. But she was talking about the worst things that DDT could do and how DDT was actually morphing us and actually changing us and evolving us into something that we were not meant to be. The reason I bring that up is because I think it's interesting with digital currencies that we're just at the very beginning, as I always call it, the dawn of the age of digital currency. We have no idea really moving forward in this evolution, what is coming next over the next 10 years? It's going to be really interesting, I think. Yeah, sure. And Ryan, when you're talking about dinosaurs and their extinction and the KT comment in your article, you were talking about how, meanwhile, the majority of land-based species disappear and their greatest strengths have become their greatest weaknesses. Mm -hmm, Exactly. And that was kind of through the process of writing this, I realized that it's really this sovereignty, this centralized sovereignty that Although it led to this explosion in fiat currencies, and it was something, let's, let's be clear, I mean, it was something that was necessary at the time. It was a good thing at the time. But as those currencies evolved to be basically they lose their scarcity, that may prove to be an issue for them. And now, now being a centralized sovereign currency may not be something that helps them compete in the future. And as we become more aware of these decentralized systems, that may start to uh, pull some of the favor. Yeah. You know, and looking at this, you have the sovereign trait listed here as government issued, gold scores low, fiat scores high, and crypto, Bitcoin scores low. But if you just kind of reverse that and you consider government as by the people and for the people, then perhaps in a decentralized way, crypto is really high and fiat is really low. Or going to be high, yes. Mm-hmm. Nice. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. If, if you switch the vernacular there, yeah, and you put it in kind of a term of favorability. I think the interesting thing, and I struggled with this when building the table, is that you know, sovereignty was favorable at one period and may not be in the future. So it's kind of either way you look at it, there's a positive and a negative. Nice. Sure. And so what was the next trade on here? We have decentralized. So we have decentralized. So that is clearly the next trade. And it's important to recognize that it's not something that currently gold or fiat are capable of. And I can't predict the future of technology. I don't know if the government may somehow in the future be able to come up with a decentralized fiat currency, you know, who knows? But it's certainly possible. So those are low. And then the final one is really the what I tried to define as smartness or programmability. And the money itself, you know, gold and fiat dollars inherently, they are not programmable. There are peripheral systems around them that may give them some functionality. But here we're talking about something that's truly another species. It, it is cash. It is currency that can be programmed in a way that it takes on other potential attributes or represents other forms of value, which is really a a stark difference from the traditional monies. Right. Another species that is evolving itself rapidly, right? We don't even know what's coming down the road the next month or the next six months with all the new Bitcoin startups and all the new altcoins and their potential. Yeah, it's a smart species. You called it the smart trade. Yes, exactly. And you couldn't have said it better, John. This is where it's really starting to get interesting and where we're seeing this, what I called hyper-evolution in the crypto space where, I mean, there's so many altcoins out there. And I actually, I'd be interested in doing another deep dive on this strictly on the species of crypto and understanding what are the traits out there. Because, you know, right now the traits are the algorithm that the mining protocol is being built around or the sure, amount sure. of distribution or the pre-mining of it and things like this. And and I really think that is going to be, as crypto becomes more prevalent, I think that'll be an exciting space as we release these altcoins into the wild and see which ones went out based on what traits. Oh my goodness, That's it exhausts the mind just thinking about comparing a thousand altcoins to each other in your traits of money chart there. So as Bitcoin evolves and moves forward, and you've got all these traits that have the cause of extinction of previous forms of money, what do you think are some of the conditions that might cause an extinction of a cryptocurrency? For example, could the regulation or bad press be the K2 event for Bitcoin? Or did it just survive Silk Road in the December crash and Mt. Gox and it's still breathing? Oh, don't say that, Lidge. I hate to even think <laughs> about the de-evolution of cryptocurrencies or Bitcoin not existing someday. It makes me sad. I don't even, I don't, I think we should end the interview. I don't want to talk about it. Well, I'm trying to put a positive spin on it. Here we are with this smart, you know, attributes to currencies and we're going to see them take on 
evolving traits that cause it to rise to the top. Okay, I, I, I get it now. Okay, uh, let, let's hear your answer. <laughs> well, I think that's a really good question. And I think that it's important to recognize that also that it is not only the traits themselves that lead to survival or evolution. It is also the conditions of the environment, right? It's how these traits interact with the environment and survive that changing environment. Just as we go back to the dinosaurs, you know, strength and size was great at one point, but that comet hit and they didn't have a lot of food and they died off pretty quickly. So the environment is just as volatile right now as the currencies are. And we're just trying to figure that out. I think that certainly there will be space in the future of these cryptocurrencies for alternative coins that fill different niches. I think this idea of you know these currencies becoming memes and people tying their values to them is certainly a big possibility. And that leaves a lot of room for a lot of different species of cryptocurrency to exist. You know, it's funny because people are constantly questioning digital currencies and constantly questioning Bitcoin. And yet you look what's going on in the world and you look at the other currencies, you look at the euro, you look at the yen, you look at all of these and they're in a lot of trouble. But no one no one really wants to talk about that just in common conversation. It's funny. Yeah. And, and the interesting thing is, you know, evolution is a long game. Right. It is generation after generation. And we're really just seeing a snapshot. Our life experience is just a snapshot in time for a lot of these currencies. But as you say, with cryptocurrency being on the precipice of this, we're on the precipice of this evolution into a new currency. And you have to recognize that some of these traits of money are more important than the others. And I really think that this scarcity issue is a big indicator that goes across gold, fiat and cryptocurrencies. And it really leads me to believe the more and more I think about it, that gold really has more of a chance than most of these fiat currencies of surviving in the long term. Oh, I think so. Absolutely. Gold and silver. Yeah. And the scarcity directly correlates to value too. Absolutely. Exactly. And, and we kind of live in this world now where we're all dependent on these fiat currencies, but you know what? The rug was pulled out from those and that scarcity was basically, it was there for a long time and then they've disconnected gold from it. And now the dollar is the standard. And most people just go about their lives as if it was the same because they'd already had achieved that network effect. It's almost like domesticating a dog and then releasing him into the wild. And then all of a sudden you realize, oh, he can't feed himself. Not a good thing to do. <laughs> well, Ryan, on that note, let's wrap up and say thank you so much for joining us here on Bitcoins and Gravy. I love hearing all about these traits of money and all the differences and the ways that they're evolving and, and rising to the top. It's pretty fascinating stuff. And it's also fascinating to think that as you described evolution being a long game, here you're describing something that has happened since Darwin came up with his theory to now the present the evolution of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. Yeah, I think you walked us through it really well. And I think our listeners probably really appreciate this look into the evolution of money. That was great. Oh, I was going to say most importantly is I'm pretty excited about delivering this next podcast to our listener base through Carrier Pigeon. Awesome. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> exactly, exactly. The problem is he's serious. That's the problem. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past you guys. Well, I really appreciate you guys having me on. It's been exciting kind of putting this article out there. And um, I'll leave you guys with this. I learned part of the fun of writing this article was learning all this stuff about Darwin as well. And I found out in my research that Darwin actually collected species on his famous trip over the course of five or six years, but he didn't really come up with this theory till years afterwards. And he describes the moment where he started to really put it together, the idea of natural selection and evolution as mental rioting. And he said he was mentally rioting because he had all these enormous ideas and he was kind of frantically and manically writing notes down and coming up with this. And I feel like it's a great metaphor to what a lot of people are doing right now in the cryptocurrency space when they learn about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. There's a lot of mental rioting going on. So I appreciate what you guys are doing, getting the word out and riot away. Right on, man. We'll keep up the good blog rioting too. Riot away. And yeah, Ryan, can you tell our listeners how they can find you? Oh, absolutely. Um, again, Again, my name is Ryan Walker. I'm on LinkedIn, but you know, there's about 20 million Ryan Walkers on LinkedIn. So if you have a year to search for me, you can do that. But probably the easiest way is on Twitter, where I do a lot of my crypto conversations. So that is at Ryan M. Walker. Again, Twitter, that's at Ryan M. Walker. All right, great. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us on Bitcoins and Gravy. It's been a pleasure speaking with you, and we look forward to reading more of your articles on Coindesk and elsewhere. All right, thanks, John and Lidge. Hey, thanks, Ryan. Great having you here, man. Cheers. Thank you, Ryan. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.
Thank you to our guests on today's show, Adam Cochran from Vault of Satoshi and Ryan Walker of Coindesk. To find out more about our guests and sponsors, visit our show notes at bitcoinsandgravy.com slash episode 20. Thank you so much for listening to our show. We greatly appreciate your time and attention. If you like the show, please remember to go to iTunes and leave us a review. Also, hit the subscribe button if you'd like to hear from Bitcoins and Gravy each week. And remember the Bitcoins and Gravy hotline. Have you ever wanted to be a podcaster? Then call us at 615-208-5198 and leave us a message with your comments, questions, or complaints. This is your opportunity to tell us what you think. If you give us permission, we will put you on the show. So call the Bitcoins and Gravy hotline at 615 208 5198. That's right. That's the Bitcoins and Gravy Hotline. And of course, we offer a number of ways for you to download all of our past podcasts. You can go to letstalkbitcoin.com or directly from iTunes, or you can go to our website, bitcoinsandgravy.com. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment and leave a review or comment on iTunes or SoundCloud. Let us know what you like or where we can improve. And remember, it's your reviews and comments that help new listeners discover Bitcoins and Gravy, plus all the other great shows on the Let's Talk Bitcoin podcast network. And we thank you for your generous tips and donations. I'm John Barrett. And I'm Lyd Shaw. And you've been listening to Bitcoins and Gravy from East Nashville, Tennessee.